It is one of the, perhaps, greatest of ironies that one of the most difficult things to do on this entire planet is one of the things that actually requires one of the very least amounts of physical effort. And that difficult thing to do is to wait. To wait. Whether we're talking about a faithful Christian who is waiting for that right Christian spouse to come along, to the patience and the waiting, the long suffering that we are to exhibit with the failures and the shortcomings of our brethren, to the patient endurance it is currently taking to wait for this coronavirus thing to be dealt with and brought under control, to anything and everything in between. As one old rock and roll song said, waiting is the hardest part. But we, we as children of the living God, we have the awesome advantage and assistance of our God. We have the unequaled and unparalleled promises of our God, of this almighty God who simply cannot lie. He can't. We have his promises that tell us not only will he get us through the wait, but he will strengthen us and carry us joyful th joyfully through even the worst of waits and circumstances. And certainly one of the greatest instances of those promises found in the Bible is found in a text that has brought infinite peace, comfort, joy, hope, strength, and assurance to countless generations in countless situations of the Lord's faithful. Ever since it was first written some 2,750 or so years ago. And that text I want you to turn with me to this morning is Isaiah chapter 40. Would you turn there, please? Isaiah chapter 40. I will say in advance that we're going to note a lot of texts this morning. And if you typically take notes, be ready because there's going to be a lot to take. And if you don't have the opportunity to do that, one of the wonderful things about our live streaming that we have been doing over the last few months is that you can go back and get a text if you miss it. Isaiah chapter 40, here's that power passage. Have you not known, Isaiah 40 and verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Is that verse still true? Just as true as the day it was written, just as true as it's been for nearly three millennia. It is verse 31 of this text that will serve as our theme verse for this entire sermon as we discuss how those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up with wings like eagles. The first thing that I want for us to understand as we discuss that text this morning is this. There is a world, now let me rephrase that, there is a universe of difference between simply waiting for something and waiting upon the Lord. Universe of difference between those two things. The difference is derived from the elements involved in waiting upon the Lord. There are certain elements that are, that are intrinsic in this process of waiting, not just simply waiting, but waiting upon the Lord. And there's four of them that I want to share with you this morning to start off. Waiting upon the Lord involves, number one, an understanding of just how infinitely much God loves you. We see this, of course, from different texts, Matthew 7, 11, as it talks about God the Father with his child. It's, it's how much God loves you as his child. Matthew 7, 11, as we said, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, and Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 2. The second element that is essential, that is involved in waiting upon the Lord, involves understanding that there is absolutely nothing, 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 nothing in this universe that God created that is too difficult for him to accomplish. Nothing. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 17. Jeremiah 32, 17 and 27. He created the universe. There's nothing too difficult for him to do easily. Thirdly, the other element, the third of the four that is, that is vital to our understanding of what it means to wait upon the Lord. The third one is what we've covered over the past few weeks, and that's from Romans 8:28, how God causes all things to work together for good or brings good out of all things to those who love him. And fourthly and finally, waiting upon the Lord involves loving him enough and trusting him enough that even while you're waiting, even while you're waiting for him to answer, even while you're waiting for him to bless you, and sometimes it seems like a long time, but even while you're waiting for him to bless you as only he can, that you continue to show your faith in him by happily, expectantly, faithfully obeying and carrying out his will and commandments in your life. We would note all of these elements reflected in a Psalm of David. Did, that, did David know anything about waiting on the Lord? <laughs> you know, Isaiah is not the only one to, to bring this to our attention, certainly. 
David knew a thing or two about waiting upon the Lord. And as I said, we'll see all four of those elements that I just mentioned in a psalm that David wrote. In fact, he uses that phrase, wait on the Lord, twice in that psalm. It's Psalm 37, if you would turn there. Not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read some selected verses. And if you're somebody who's, who's waiting for something and you're, you're finding it a struggle to wait, take courage and take heart from all of the elements that we're going to read about here in, in the 37th psalm from David. We're going to start reading verses 3 through 9. And again, we'll see this trust in the Lord while we're waiting is shown by our continuing to still obey him and expectantly wait, because we know he's going to take care of us. Verses 3 through 9, David writes, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord. Look at this next phrase and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Look at this next line, verse seven. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. By contrast, he says, do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. He said, don't worry about that. Wait for the Lord. Look at the next verse. Verse 8, cease from anger, forsake wrath. Don't fret. It only causes harm. Do you know how many ailments are caused by stress? I did a study on this some years ago. It is amazing the amount of physical health issues that doctors will attribute to too much stress. And God put it very simply right here. He said, cease from anger, forsake wrath, don't fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but here's our line, verse nine, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Move down to verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. You know, when you stop and, and think about God, you think about his power, and you think about his love, and you think about all that he's created, and you think about his providence, and you think about his protection, what could possibly give that God delight? Delight is a nice word, right? It's like that, it's like that cold soft serve on a 100 degree evening, right? After you come in out of the field, you all know, just, wow, just a delight, right? This passage says, that God delights in the way of a good man, a good man who trusts him. This brings God happiness. Verse 24, though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. David said, verse 25, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil, do good, and dwell evermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. This is one of those promises that we get into and we hang on to while we're waiting on the Lord. God's not going to desert us, not ever. If we are willing to listen to him and continue to trust him, this is what strengthens us as we wait on the Lord. Look at verse 34, what does it say? Wait on the Lord 
and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. Verse 37, mark the blameless man, observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. You want a future where peace is guaranteed? This psalm tells you how to have it. The future of that man is peace. And finally, verses 39 and 40. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. Did you catch that connection? Righteous people are still going to have trouble. You know, sometimes we may get in a situation where we say, Lord, why is this happening? What have I done to deserve this? Why me, Lord, et cetera, et cetera. Even the most righteous of people have problems. It doesn't mean you're being punished for something. We live on a fallen planet. Righteous people are going to have trouble. That's what he said. Look at Job. Look at this psalm. Again, verse 39, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He'll deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. This idea of waiting for God. David emphasized again and again. Psalm 27, 13 and 14. Please turn there. This is just, just two verses, but so crucial. I, I love the, the wording here. Psalm 27, 13 and 14. You ever been in a situation where you're just ready to quit? You just, you've lost heart. You just, it, it's overwhelming. Look what David says in Psalm 27, 13 and 14. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He said, that's the hope that kept me going. I would have lost all heart if it were not for that. And then he says, verse 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. David repeats it again in verse 14. David knows. David, think of David's life. He knew exactly what he was talking about. He said, this is, I would have lost heart if it wasn't for that. I would have quit. I would have given up. But he says, I know that if you wait on the Lord, he will strengthen your heart. Wait on him. So we see that those who wait upon the Lord, as we said earlier, are those who know and understand and focus, focus on, all the time, focus on, number one, his great love for them. Number two, the immeasurable amount of power he possesses and wants to put to work for them. Number three, that he will cause all things to work together for their good. And number four, those who wait upon the Lord are those who joyfully wait, fully trusting him and living a life that says that that's what they're doing. That is the message of David in Psalm 27, 37, and a bunch of other Psalms as well as being the message of Isaiah in Isaiah 40 in verse 31. The next phrase of which is, they shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. Have you ever, and I know this is a very familiar text, but have you really ever stopped and considered what that phrase means when it says, they will mount up with wings like eagles? Consider that phrase. Mount up with wings like eagles. 
Many powerful pictures should come to our mind when we stop and think about the flight of an eagle, the, the might of an eagle, the majesty, the power of an eagle. Eagles have often been referred to as the king of the birds. Eagles are to the bird world what lions are to the animal kingdom, what crocodiles are to the reptilian world. As a matter of fact, in scripture, if you look up the word eagle, you'll often see that the word eagle and lion are, are in the same verse. They're used more than once together. Think about the power of an eagle. Did you know that an American bald eagle can have a wingspan up to seven feet? I'm just over six foot tall, okay? There's none of us in here that are seven foot. But an American eagle can have a, a wingspan of seven feet. That's a big bird. I was once talking with one of the brethren in the former congregation where I taught, and he said he'd gone out in the morning and seen a coyote down in his back field, and he'd shot this coyote. Left it down there a few hours. He had some other things to do and came back later that day and was going to take care of it. And he said as he drove down into that back field where he'd shot the coyote, he saw something down there. Since he got closer, he realized what it was. It was a huge eagle on this carcass of the coyote. He said it was interesting. He saw this, this tall eagle down there, big bird, whatever it was, sitting on that coyote. And he said all the other birds, they weren't coming near it. When the eagle got done, they could have what they wanted, but the eagle, that no, nobody was messing with this eagle. Think about the power and the strength this picture of an eagle involves. Eagles have incredible powers of flight. Eagles can soar to immense heights. They often build their nests in the top of the tallest trees around or even up on the top of, of crags, of cliffs. Some of you may remember the old John Denver song where it talked about, I am the eagle, I live in high country in rocky cathedrals that reach to the sky. That's, that's a pretty good picture. From ancient times, as we consider Isaiah 40, 31 and what it means to mount up with wings like eagles, we need to understand that from ancient times, eagles have been universally regarded as a symbol of power, a symbol of, of strength, a symbol of, of unparalleled might. Probably why the eagle occurs on our U.S. currency, presidential seal of the United States, and those sorts of things. But having said all of that, to kind of paint a physical picture, we would especially pay attention to what the scripture says as it paints this picture of an eagle's strength and power. The incredible superiority of an eagle's strength and power is seen in a number of passages in scripture. Let me give them to you or give you some of them. It's amazing when you stop and, and look at it how many times the eagle is used as a symbol of strength and power. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 10, chapter 10 and verse 14, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 4, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 7, and chapter 12 and verse 14. Not only that, but in addition to all of those are two texts in the New Testament. Those are Matthew 24, 28 and Luke 17, 37 where the eagle is used to symbolize the strength and power 
of the Roman legions, the ironclad, as it were, all-powerful, seeming in that day and age, the, the mighty superpower of the Roman legions are symbolized by an eagle. And if I remember correctly, I think the actual standard of the Roman legions was an eagle. Their superior swiftness of flight can also be seen in the Bible, referenced time and again, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 49, 2 Samuel 1, 23, Jeremiah 4 and verse 13, and Lamentations chapter 4 and verse 19. Did you know this? In language very similar to that of Isaiah 40, 31, God is said in scripture to have borne the Israelites out of Egypt on eagles' wings. As we consider the power that those who wait upon the Lord will be born in eagles' wings, stop and think about this. I'll give you the text in a minute, but scripture actually refers to God as having borne the Israelites out of Egypt on eagles' wings, Exodus chapter 19 and verse four. He is even further represented or illustrated by the symbolism of an eagle in the Song of Moses. Did you know that? Turn to me in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. God is represented, his power is represented or illustrated by the symbolism of an eagle in the Song of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 32. You know, I think that sometimes when we just kind of read over that very beautiful and familiar passage of Isaiah 40 and verse 31, we don't understand how often this symbolism has been used and how powerful it is and, and, and all, all that it means and, and the fact that this is not a new usage of the terminology. This is not a, a new illustration. Deuteronomy chapter 32, follow along with me beginning in verse 9 as we read down through to verse 13. 32.9. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. Let us not forget as we read this. This is Old Testament, okay? We understand that. God's people today are Christians. We understand that. Those of the faith of Abraham. And it says here again, the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him, verse 10, in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him, he instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, look at the next verse, as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him when there was no foreign God with him. Do you see the picture? If, if you don't, close your eyes for a minute and, and get this picture of this, this mighty seven-foot wingspan eagle that no other bird's gonna bother to mess with. And it's sheltering its young. It's holding its young in its nest under the shelter of its wings. And it says that's the picture that we need to understand when we talk about what it means to have God bear us up on eagles' wings or any of those sorts of, of symbols. It says in verse 13, 
He made him ride in the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock. And he goes on, but, but as you read verse 13, made him ride the heights of the earth that he could eat the produce of the fields. What, is, what does that give you for picture? Shows you what an adult eagle teaches their young, right? Flying above the heights of the earth, feasting off of the goodness of the land. All of this is this picture of verse 11, as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them, helping them to ride on the heights of the earth. There's an unparalleled picture here, and I don't want you to miss it. I don't want anybody at home, I don't want anybody here to miss this picture. There's this picture of unparalleled and incredible peace, beauty, comfort of, of strength and protection and providence that God's faithful people always have and always will be able to find beneath his wings. Do you see it? Doesn't matter what storm does. Do you see the peace and the beauty and the comfort, the security, the stability beneath his wings? You know, David, again and again and again, talked about this very thing as well. Let me share with you quickly, and just write these down. Don't, don't turn to them, just I'll read them to you, a few verses from a few selected Psalms. But listen how often David used this picture of protection. And David, <laughs> David relied on God a lot for protection. The prayer of David in Psalm 17, verses six through eight, reads as follows. I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. O you who save those who trust in you from those who would rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me, David says, under the shelter of your wings. Psalm 17, six through eight. In Psalm 36, another Psalm of David, verses seven through 10, he says, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They, that is those who do that, are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. Does a mother eagle supply food for her young? Does she take care of them? Does she protect them? Yes, that's exactly what this is talking about. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. You give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Those who hide underneath the shelter of his wings in the storm, those who are beneath the shelter of his wings, as it were, all the time, they drink from the rivers of his pleasure. He provides for us rivers of living water. What a beautiful and protected place to be. Psalm 57, David wrote when he had fled from Saul into the cave. That's what we are told by the commentators. You remember David was harried by Saul and, um, 
as, as they were chasing, or as Saul was chasing him around the mountain, you remember that Saul went into a cave by himself, and, and David was there, and this psalm is believed to have been written as a result of that. Listen to verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 57 from the English Standard Version. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Isn't that a beautiful line? Till the storms of destruction pass by, I will hide beneath the shelter of your wings, David says in Psalm 57. The next sentence is, of verses 1 and 2, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. As I, as I read that line about God who fulfills his purpose for me, even in the storm, I am reminded, Romans 8, 28, what can I say? David also penned Psalm 61. By the way, if you're looking through your songbook later on today, Psalm 61 is believed to serve as the inspiration for Psalm 905 in our church songbooks. Listen to verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Have you ever cried out to God and just, just pled with him to hear you? Have you? Just, God, please, I, I need, I need, I need so much for you to hear me. I'm in this terrible situation. David wrote in Psalm 61, verses 1 through 4, Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer, for from the end of the earth I will cry to you. Listen to what he says. When my heart is overwhelmed, I just can't do this anymore. David said, when my heart is overwhelmed, God, I cry out to you. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Like that eagle the majestic and highest crags. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. When my heart is overwhelmed, I know where I need to be. Finally, in Psalm 63, Psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah, he says in verses 6 through 8, When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. You know, some of the struggles that we go through, some of those heart-wrenching, just, just those overwhelming things that we go through, sometimes during the day, we, we probably don't do too bad. We've got work and life and, you know, activities and things going on and people calling the house and we had all these different things going on. But you know what? It's probably all too many of you know. So you put your head down on the pillow at night, close your eyes, it's just you in the darkness, can't sleep. That overwhelming, whatever it is, is right there in front of you. There's nothing to distract you. This is what David said here in Psalm 63. This is where he was. He says, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. When David was struggling in the dark recesses of the night, he said, God, that's 
because you've always been my help. That's where I'm going to stay is right in the shadow of your wings. Because I know the comfort and the strength, the peace, the protection, the joy that's there. Turn to me in your Bibles to Psalm 91. Psalm 91, would you please? Not sure who wrote the 91st Psalm, but once again, being divinely inspired, it matches everything that we have read and talked about in the Psalms of David that we have referenced. Psalm 91, this may be you. First six verses. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Do you see the picture? The person who dwells in the Most High. Picture the eagle up in the crags of the Rocky Mountains, way up in the highest place. And, and understand that the person who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say, to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence. He'll cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth. See, we can't leave his truth. We can't leave all that he wants for us to be under the shadow of his wings. We, we need to continually stay in his truth and live for him. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. Listen. These little chicks, as it were, with this huge seven-foot wingspan mother eagle sitting on top of them really don't have too much to worry about up there in the crags, do they? Ain't too much going to get up there and mess with them. The beauty of this text is exactly that. He will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you take refuge. Don't be afraid, verse 5, of the terror by night. They didn't have to worry about darkness with that huge eagle there. Nor of the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. I know there's a lot there, but the biggest point I want to emphasize to you this morning is that we see in these first six verses that even the most faithful of God's people struggle at times. They have problems. They get overwhelmed. I don't care how faithful they are. They're going to have trouble, verses 1 and 2. They have desperate problems, verses 3 through 6. But beneath the shadow of his wings, we can have peace even in those problems. God's response to all of those who will thus love and trust and obey and wait on and, and, and wait for him, those who will take shelter beneath his wings throughout the storm, throughout their life. What is God's response? We see it here in Psalm 91 a little further on. Look at verses 14 through 16. God says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. God says, for that person who's willing to continually trust me and love me through the worst of circumstances and they'll take shelter beneath my wings, God says, I'm going to take care of that person. Let me tell you what. That's his message in verse 14. 
Verse 15, he'll call upon me and I'll answer him, God says. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Boy, how'd you like to have those verses jump into your mind the next time you're going through something difficult? God says, I'm going to do this because he's trusting me. She's trusting me. They have sought refuge and shelter in my presence with me. And that person, I will not let down, God says. What a beautiful text. This is exactly what the people of Isaiah's day were being told in the context of our theme verse back in Isaiah 40. Please turn back to Isaiah 40 with me, would you please? Or head to Isaiah 40, I should say. You see, a lot of times when we see Isaiah 40, verse 31, mount up with wings like eagles, we don't stop and consider the context of the entire chapter. Isaiah 40, 31 wasn't just, God didn't just go and throw it down there in the middle of a circumstance. It had nothing to do with it. It's there for a reason. It was written in the immediate context for a people who were struggling mightily, for people who were in a life and death situation. You see, Isaiah, and we're back in chapter 40 here now, a brief synopsis. Isaiah spent his entire life in the ever-increasing, ever more threatening, darkening shadows of the Assyrian Empire. This is the context we're going to talk about. The Assyrian Empire was an empire which had destroyed the northern portion of Israel already in 733 BC. Okay? The Assyrian Empire had destroyed the rest of the northern kingdom 11 years later in 722 BC. They were a force to be reckoned with. They had invaded Judah in 712 BC, and by 701 BC, they had conquered pretty much all of Judah except Jerusalem. Jerusalem was about the last portion of God's people that they hadn't conquered. And in Isaiah 39, verses 6 and 7, Isaiah prophesied that Jerusalem was going to fall too, just like the rest of the northern kingdom had done and the rest of Judah had done. He said, you know what, Jerusalem's going down too. Those were desperate days. Those were days of deep life and death despair for those of God's people to whom Isaiah said, they're going to they're take you too. They're going to subjugate you as well. These people, you have to understand, knew that they were going to fall to an ungodly ominous and unmerciful world superpower that did not know their God. They knew they were going to be conquered. Isaiah had told them in the preceding chapter. What do you do with that? What do you do? You know there's death coming. You know there's all kinds of things coming. And you, you've seen the carnage that they've wreaked everywhere else. And, and this unstoppable force is going to take you down too. And it's coming. And, and, and Isaiah said it's, it's going to happen. What do you do with that? We think we have problems, right? What I want you to understand, we have such an awesome God. Bursting forth into that, into that darkness and that, that, that cloud of the approaching Assyrian army, right, right in the middle of that, here comes God, boom, bursting on the scene with a message of hope, with great words of comfort, with a promise of peace from the great God of heaven who would carry them through the captivity. God shows up on the scene and goes, but that ain't the end of the story. 
Look at, the, look, at, look at the first words of Isaiah 40. In the midst of this, this approaching doom, if I can use that word, God says, comfort. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. The first word God says, I'm going to comfort you. Speak comfort. That's the third time we've seen that word in two verses. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned. She's received from the Lord's hand double all her sins. In light of this, this terrible thing that's about to happen to them, God says, but I've got a promise for you. I will comfort you nonetheless. Yes, this is coming, but I've got you. Even though there was a terrible storm brewing on the horizon, God was going to come to their aid. God was going to comfort them, come to their rescue, and make things right. And he told them so. Look at verses 10 and 11. And yes, this is a messianic prophecy of the Christ to come. But look at verses 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord God shall come. Terrible stuff's going to happen. He says, yeah, but you take comfort in this. Verse 10. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arm will rule for him. His reward is with him and his work is before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Do we understand what that is? That's, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fourth man shows up in the fire. That's what that is. That's God's promise that in their worst fire, he's going to take care of it. He's going to rescue them. They just need to wait for him. This is Jesus' disciples in the midst of this, this raging storm at sea in the fourth watch of the night between 3 and 6 a.m. when Jesus comes walking to them on the water. That's what this is. This is God's bailout. This is the angels at the empty tomb. And I stress empty. At the empty tomb on Sunday morning where an immense stone had been rolled away from the door because Jesus had left death behind in that dark cave. God says, I'm going to, I got this. And I hope you go home later this afternoon. I don't have the time here this morning, but I hope you'll go home and, and read about the awesome power of God as it's explained in verses 12 through 25. There is an incredible, incredible description of God's power here and how he's got this between verses 12 and 25. Look with me now in verse 26. Let's take it verse by verse as we get back to our theme verse. Verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. The stars are in the sky because God's keeping them there. Man still cannot count the amount of stars. To this day, the universes. Man cannot even count the amount of stars. And yet, God created and holds each one in place. What does that tell us about trusting man? Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by God? How can you say, yes, you may have a just claim and, and you're hurting, but how can you say God doesn't see it? How can you say, God, where are you when I struggle? How can you make those kinds of claims? Verse 28, haven't you known? 
Haven't you heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Verse 27, how can you say God doesn't understand my just claim? God's understanding is unsearchable, verse 28. He knows everything. Don't you know who you're dealing with? Verse 29, he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. God's power is infinite, it is unsearchable, it is inexhaustible. Verse 30, even youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. It doesn't matter how strong you are, it doesn't matter how much strength you have, it doesn't matter how much stamina and perseverance you have, this life can beat you up. Why do you think people out there in the world are looking for strength in everything from, from all the sins that they're looking for strength in to help them cope with their life? And yet, what's happening? They're digging themselves in deeper because God's the only one with the kind of power that can carry you through. Brings us back to verse 31. Those who wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I want us to understand that the word in verse 31 for wait does not mean to just simply sit by and do nothing. It doesn't mean that at all. What it means is this. That Hebrew word means to wait with eager anticipation and expectation. That's what it means. You, you know, like, you have, a, you have a, a woman that's pregnant. She's what? She's expecting, right? She's getting the nursery ready. Um, they're making plans. Their whole life is going to change. You know, she and her husband, there's this eager anticipation. They're looking for names. They're buying clothes. They're doing, there's this, there's this, they're not just sitting there going. There's an expectation, an anticipation of something exciting that's going to happen. That's what this means to wait, this Hebrew word. It is the kind of waiting built upon the same type of faith and hope and trust that's described in a Hebrews 11.1 1, where it says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's that type of waiting. The message of Isaiah 40 is this, particularly these last few verses. No matter what you are currently having to endure in your life, no matter what you are having to go through down here, you need to seek shelter as close to God as you can get, beneath the shadow of his wings. You must faithfully continue to trust, obey, and wait upon the Lord, because that is the only thing that will give you the strength to get through it. Not just get through it, but get through it with joy and peace and comfort and hope and happiness. Before we close, I want to read for you two excerpts from an old article that I have. I don't remember who wrote it, but the title was Eagles in the Storm. Picture this, in light of everything we've talked about. Eagles in the Storm. Did you know that an eagle knows when a storm is approaching long before it breaks? The eagle will fly to some high spot and wait for the winds to come. When the storm hits, the eagle sets its wings so that the wind will pick it up and lift it above 
the storm. While the storm rages below, the eagle is soaring above it. The eagle does not escape the storm. It simply uses the storm to lift it higher. Isn't that what James told us in James 1, 2 through 4? Consider it all joy, my beloved brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Use the storm. Rise above the storm with God's help in the shelter of his wings. Ride the winds that bring the storm. The article continued. And I hope you'll all hang on to this. The storms do not have to overcome us. We can allow God's power to lift us above them. God enables us to ride the winds of the storm that brings sickness, tragedy, failure, and disappointment into our lives. We can soar above the storm. Last line, remember, it is not the burdens of this life that weigh us down. It is how we handle them. As we close, I want to leave you with the words of another Psalm of David. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Psalm 103, 1 through 5. What about you this morning? The storm got you burdened? You know, Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 and 9, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Are you struggling with something this morning that you need the prayers of the church for? If you come to understand this morning that you need to be closer, tucked in under, quote unquote, the shadow of his wings, are you somebody who's grown impatient and you understand this morning that you need to wait upon the Lord because those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they will mount up with wings like eagles. Not everything in this life is going to happen the way we want it to the moment we want it to. But God gives us the strength to joyfully ride the storm ever closer to him. If you have never been baptized into Christ, not only do we offer this invitation that you can have prayers if you have been to help and strengthen you and carry you during your storm, but if you've never become a child of God by having your sins washed away, you don't know what it is to be free. Isn't it wonderful, church, to wake up every morning knowing his mercies are new every morning and your sins are washed away with it? Isn't that an awesome thing? That's freedom. If you're here today and you've never experienced that, we'd love to have you. Whatever it will take to help you to soar above your storm, we stand ready to help. As we stand and sing, please make your way.